0: Today's reading is from Jonah 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days' walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone great and small put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, No human being or animal, no herd or flock, shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So, for this series in Jonah, each week we've had a creative response to the scripture reading. This week, uh, Darren Vandertang wrote a poem. Um, She was unable to be here to read it, so uh, you get me. Nineveh repents. Three days did Jonah shout and sigh. God's wrath in every street did cry. Repent, repent, before you die. The king threw off his royal clothes, sat in the dust with barefoot toes. O evil men, your sins disclose. Listen to what the prophet says, or in forty days you'll be erased. Man and beast, cease evil ways. Sackcloth and ashes, fast and pray, if you want to live another day. As Jonah feared, the people heard. The word of God they preferred from evil ways they turned away god's commandments to obey compassion and mercy is his name just as jonah knew the same we may huff and puff at others sin before we really look within this petulant child on whom god smiled with his love he reconciled
2: when you were a kid did you ever play opposite day it's a it's it's a super annoying game where (laughs) yes, yes means no, and left means right, and you have these conversations like, well, um, I said I will, but it's opposite day, so it actually means I won't, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just, haha, so funny, so (laughs) irritating. We are in week three of a four-week series on um, Jonah, and all of Jonah is like opposite day, right? Uh, This chapter is like no exception, so in chapter, Todd just read the scriptures in in Jonah chapter three. We have a prophet whose calling requires speaking words and he hardly says anything. Um, We have have this proud and violent city of Nineveh and it becomes humble and peaceful. Uh, We have this powerful king who becomes meek. And then we have God who is gonna wipe out Nineveh, change his mind and he doesn't do it. Opposite day. But opposite day, in the book of Noah, I mean, the book of, oh, interesting. (laughs) Actually this, a little segue. Um, So I became a Christian in high school and I didn't know Jack. I didn't know the Bible at all. And I remember that there was a story, two stories involving water, and one was with a whale and one was with a boat. (laughs) And now a million years later, I'm still struggling with the difference between those two stories, anyway. Um, the good news is, is that, um, even if we're not so Bible literate, God still loves us. Um, okay. So, Jonah, here's the story. In, um, Jonah is, is all about opposite day, but, um, it's not annoying or irritating. Except for Jonah himself, who is always annoying and irritating, and we'll get to him in a minute. But actually, all the opposite unexpected turns in the book of Jonah are actually quite delightful and quite positive. Um, So it's a a good book for us. Um, I want to quickly review Jonah for those of us who may not be so familiar with it. And it is going to be a very, very quick review because it's only four short chapters and 48 verses. It's like super short book. in contrast to these other prophetic books that are often really, really long and wordy and kind of abstract and hard to follow, Jonah has a really different feel about it. There's a, there's a lot of plot, a lot of movement, and actually it's um, super funny. So I'm gonna illustrate this. We're gonna uh, play a little game called Jonah charades. Um, I'm gonna be Jonah, and my lovely husband, Phil, will be the other characters. Here we go, here we go. Now, charades don't work if nobody calls it out, so um, your job is to call out what you see, all right? And we need a little energy in this. Are we ready for this? Okay. Thank you. All right, here we go. So I'm Jonah, remember, if you don't know. All right, here we go. God calls Jonah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's try this again. Yeah. Yeah, keep going, keep going. Mm Jonas called again. see. One through three. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna talk about chapter four. I'm gonna save that for Justin next week. Um, so it's kind of slapstick. It reminds me of, you know, you can see it like a melodrama, you know? Oh, we just overacted over, Ooh, just, just like our charades. Um, yeah, what's so interesting about Jonah is 700 years later, Jesus mentions Jonah. It's so interesting. He, he does talk about a lot of the prophets, but Jesus mentions Jonah um, during his ministry. Um, Several times, three times. In in Jesus' ministry, um, the people asked Jesus for a sign, like, you know, are you really the Messiah? Are you you the Savior? Give us a sign so we'll know that. And three of those times, Jesus says, look, the only sign that you're gonna get is a sign of Jonah. Um, So we're gonna pick up in in Matthew 12, just one of the um, instances of that. Then some of the scribes, the the, the Pharisees said to him, teacher, we, we, we wish to see a sign from you. And Jesus answered them, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to, you, to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. Interesting. So Matthew 13, Jesus is saying that the sign has to do with Jonah being in the belly of the fish for three days. And Christians have have connected the dots, saying, okay, Jonah in the belly of the fish for three days. That's also a prefiguring of Jesus uh, being in the ground for three days. And yet, he doesn't stay there. There's resurrection. And so Jesus' death and resurrection is actually going to be that sign. Okay, now back to Jonah. So when you're reading Jonah, Jonah gets compared to every other character in the book of Jonah, right? So Jonah gets compared to the, the pagan sailors, and he looks bad. Jonah gets compared to the Ninevites, he looks bad. Every single character that Jonah's compared to, he looks bad. And guess what? Every time we read Jonah, it's like a mirror to us because we look just as bad. Uh, I did a series on Jonah before, and um, yeah, I didn't make this up. I stole this series title, but it's so great. It's like, I am Jonah and so are you. That should be our response when we're reading Jonah, isn't, oh, Jonah's such a cranky whatever. Um, but, oh, we have some of those same Jonah-like instincts, right, so so Jonah is um, all about Jonah and all about this lack of mercy, and, and uh, I'm gonna try not to talk about mercy because I think, hopefully, Justin's gonna go to town with that next week, so we'll see. So, so now the key character in the book of Jonah is indeed Jonah, and we've been talking about that uh, week one, um, Justin talked about Jonah's view of God and how important it is to have the proper view of God. Um, And then last week, Andrea talked about Jonah fleeing the presence of God and the importance of being in the presence of God. And those are really important. We can learn so much from Jonah. But today, I wanna focus not upon Jonah, not upon an individual. I actually wanna focus on the Ninevites and the city of Nineveh. It's an institution, a system, a nation, a force, an empire, the city of Nineveh. Uh, At that time, Nineveh was the largest city in the known world, and it was the capital city of the largest empire in the known world, the Assyrians. In fact, historians say that Assyria was like the first superpower in history, in recorded history. So it's a pretty powerful place. Um, Nineveh, does it remind you of another place? D.C. to me feels like no other place where I've ever lived. The political power, both national as well as international, the systems, the institutions, the bureaucracy, the agencies are vast, and I know many of you in this room work for them. And those of us who don't work in those sort of government agencies, we're still affected by big issues and the systems of the day, be it education or racism or poverty or immigration or criminal justice. Whatever it is, there are lots of systems and powers that threaten to overwhelm us. Just like Nineveh. Interestingly enough, in that whole thing in Matthew 13 when Jesus talks about Jonah, he doesn't end with Jonah. Jesus actually talks about Nineveh. It's so interesting, let's go back there. So in, in Matthew 12, 41, if we continue that, so he talks about the sign of Jonah and then he continues with this. The people of Nineveh, Jesus is talking about the bloodthirsty Ninevites. The people of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah and see something greater than Jonah is here. Could it be there were two signs? There was a the sign of Jonah and then there was the sign of the Ninevites? The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with Jesus' generation and condemn it because Nineveh repented. So Jesus is saying when we compare those two kind of, you know, Jesus' home crew, you know, same religion, same background, all of that compared to this very bloodthirsty, violent place, Jesus actually, Nineveh looks better because they actually repented, they actually turned around. Interesting comparison. Um, so uh, why is that? Let's look at this actual Ninevite repentance. We'll go back to uh, Jonah, and it says um, Jonah gives the worst sermon ever. Forty days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. <laughs> I don't know. I could try that. Forty days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown, and I just sit down. I don't know what you guys would do. I don't know what you would do because it's so short and it's so unclear. I mean, I think that I think Jonah gets the worst preaching award ever, it's not an award, punishment, I don't know what we do with him, that's terrible. <laughs> 40 days, it's eight, it's, a, it's eight words in English, it's five words in Hebrew, that's his whole sermon. It's so weird, did you notice there's nothing, he doesn't mention God, he doesn't mention what the Ninevites did, he doesn't mention what they're supposed to do in response, he just says 40 days Nineveh will be overturned, that's the whole sermon. And yet, next verse, the people of Ninevite, Nineveh believed God. That's crazy. And let's talk more about this 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 uh, this repentance because it's so important. It's so unexpected. It's unexpected again because Jonah gave a very unclear and underwhelming um, uh, oh, sermon. But it's also unexpected because the Ninevites really are god awful, and I really mean that. They are god awful. All right. So. Um, not only is Jonah a prophet against Nineveh, there's another book in the Bible that also prophesies against Nineveh. It's, it's the book of Nahum, he's another prophet. It's interesting, in, in this, there's all the countries of the world and which nations get prophesied against, Yeah, mostly the home team, right? J- Judah and Israel. But you know, the visiting teams that get prophesied, there's two books devoted to Nineveh. That's very interesting. But let's read what, what, what Nahum says about uh, Uh, Nineveh, Ah, city of bloodshed, utterly deceitful, full of booty, no end to the plunder, the crack of whip and rumble of wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging flashing sword and glittering spear, piles of dead, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end, they stumble over the bodies. The passage actually continues, and I can't read it in church because it's kind of spicy and R-rated. You can read verse four and five when you get home. And then, I okay, go down to the next slide, here's how Nahum ends. Here's its final kiss towards, towards Nineveh. All who hear news, the news about you clap their hands at your fall for who has not felt your endless cruelty? Dang. That's intense. I think Nineveh's repentance would be equivalent to the NRA deciding to support the ban of assault uh, weapons. It would be that startling. It would be like Beijing allowing Hong Kong to pick their own candidates for election. It would be that startling. It would be like this administration saying, hey, let's go for reparations. It's that startling. That's how startling the Ninevite repentance was. Just, just knock your socks off. It was also really quick repentance. It only took a day. It was 40 days till God was gonna act, and and by day one, boom, they repent. But lastly, I think the most important um, thing that we can learn from their repentance is it was really, really extreme. You have this super short sermon, you know, your 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 eight-word sermon, followed by a very long description of what the Ninevite repentance looked like. So let's read it. Verse five. So the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. So the repentance started grassroots. It was the people who heard, heard um, who heard uh, what's that guy Jonah and um. It's the people that start fasting, the people, everyone, young and old. Sorry baby, sorry baby, no feeding right now, we're fasting. Sorry elderly person, I know that you need this, but we're fasting. And then, keep going, verse 6, when the, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And then he had a proclamation made to Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, they shall cry mightily to God, they shall turn from their evil ways." and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows, God may relent and change his mind. He may churn from his fierce anger so we do not perish. So we see that verse six, the king personally gets involved. Before he does anything else, he is personally convicted. He gets off of his mighty throne, humbles himself. And then he says, oh my gosh, what about the rest of the people? And it's this crazy fast. We have a picture of that fa- Yeah, it's a crazy fast of lots of animals in Jonah it's funny, those of you who are in the creation care seminar, I'm just gonna notice lots of animals in, in Jonah. I don't know what to do with that, but there's lots of animals in Jonah. Okay, it's, but it's very unusual. All of creation is repenting. All of creation is repenting. Maybe because all of creation is connected and I'm totally off on a tangent now, I'm gonna pull myself back. All right, here we go. Um, but again, is anyone else struck by the enormity of Nineveh's repentance? It's wild, it's quick, it's, it, it is drastic. And then we'll end the chapter, verse 10. It's not just Nineveh that repents, but God repents as well. When God saw what they had done, that they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them. He did not do it. So this is parallel. They repent and God repents. We usually think of repentance uh, as in terms of responding to sin and, and turning away from sin. There's another way of repentance. that just means change your mind, change your way turn away, um, and so that's what God does. Different translations have all that. God changed his mind, God changed his heart. This is a really interesting uh, and important verse because it's not the only place in the Bible where God changes his mind or changes his heart or turns around, but there's only one issue where God changes his mind and when it comes from punishment to mercy. That's key. One time where God changes his mind and it's from punishment to mercy. It's beautiful. All right, so how did this Ninevite repentance actually happen since we know like our homeboy Jonah was not a great preacher? How did this happen? I don't totally know but there's a clue in the text and it's a really big clue. One thing, and I, I don't have it as in a slide, but one thing that you'll notice when you read um, Jonah is every chapter is framed by God. The beginning of every chapter and the end of every chapter has God doing something or saying something. Every four, Each of the four chapters are framed by God. So uh, chapter one, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, beginning. The end of chapter one, but the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. Beginning of chapter two, Jonah prayed to the Lord. End of chapter two, then the Lord spoke to the fish and it spewed Jonah out. Uh, Beginning of chapter three, the word of the Lord came a second time to Jonah. End of chapter three, God changed his mind about the calamity that he was going to do. So each and every chapter begins with God working and ends with God working. God frames these chapters of Jonah. Um, We may not see God in the middle, but God's at work before and after. What God has begun, God will finish. And that's the big clue in Jonah and how it's structured. Every action is framed by God. God's begun something and God will indeed complete it. That is really good news for us. God has put a frame around it. In 1989, the Iron Curtain fell after 40 years. Um, this was back in the day where you actually read paper newspapers and news was on television. Um, and when it fell that summer and, and the months on, it, w- it happened so suddenly. So suddenly, all of a sudden, there was no more Soviet Union, there was no more Yugoslavia, there was no more Czechoslovakia, there was no more Eastern Germany, there was freedom in Poland and Romania and Hungary and all that. And it just seemed to happen just so suddenly. I mean, and the, the pictures of the Berlin Wall, like here today, gone tomorrow, boom, it fell. It just fell. And it happened so suddenly, systems that had affected millions and millions of people just collapsed just collapsed, and I'm sure that behind the scenes there was all kind of movement, and I also wonder how many unnamed saints have been praying for 40 years? How many unnamed saints were working quietly or maybe not so quietly to bring change? There's usually much more to a picture than what we can see, but I do see in that example that God framed framed that event that God began that work and that God finished that work. It's not totally finished, but we see the presence of God there. Okay, back to Nineveh. I have some really bad news about this story. The repentance didn't last. Historically, 70 years later, Jonah's home country, Israel, is gonna be destroyed by the Assyrians. The repentance didn't stick. And you say, well, maybe the Assyrians were benevolent dictators, you know. Maybe they didn't do much harm. That's not true because that Nahum description happened 150 years after Jonah when the Assyrians were still ruling Israel. They They were still beastly. The repentance didn't stick. The Ninevites returned to their own ways. But, you know, A few decades after that, Nineveh itself was destroyed by a greater power, Babylon. I gotta say, downfall happens to every single empire. Every single one. As the scripture says, put not your trust in princes. That's a good word for those of us in DC. Put not your trust in princes. Empires rise and empires will indeed fall. So ultimately Jonah was right, his prophecy came to pass, Nineveh is no more, Nineveh was overthrown. You go to Nineveh today, it's just a bunch of ruins. But there was a moment in time when Nineveh chose to repent. There was a moment in time when Nineveh chose to believe God and when Nineveh repented so fully that Jesus referred to it, again, 700 years later. That moment was framed by God's merciful intervention. And I think that must have been quite us. I would love to have been, not Jonah, but just sitting there. Like just, I guess Jonah does do that, that's next week. Anyway, but, but just to see, just to watch that repentance happen. It must have been so beautiful and so crazy and so off the hook. Well, back to Jesus in that Matthew verse once more. He ends with one phrase, and this is a phrase of hope for us. Jesus ends with, see, something greater than Jonah is here. And that's Jesus. And we can call upon the name of Jesus. who took on the cross willingly and he took all that junk in him, all the violence and shame and humiliation and and empire building and suffering and oppression. He took all of that, the sin of the entire world, personally and institutionally and nationally. He took all of that stuff on him, all the stuff from the past, the present and the future. He took all that on him and dang it, it killed him. It killed him. But the sign of Jonah, he didn't stay dead. There was resurrection. The story continues. God had placed a frame around him. And the world did change then. And the world is changing. And the world will change for the better. That is the promise of God. So what the heck does this mean for us? Because we're a long way from Nineveh. Or maybe we're not. I think for some of you personally, just that word of repentance makes you go, oh yeah, there are some things that I want to need to believe God for, that maybe I want to turn around and lean more into God. Um, uh, maybe I need to repent with an urgency like the Ninevites. Um, if that's you, just stop listening to me now and just go talk to God, okay? Just do that, okay? Because that's a great thing, and, it, and repentance is always good every day. So um, if that's you, just tune me out right now and you and Jesus have a talk. Um, also, we will have people praying on the sides if you want it to, for someone to help you repent. They will um, help you do that confidentially and graciously. But I think there's a bigger word for us too, not just the personal repentance. I think many of us are kind of overwhelmed by empires and institutions and systems and things that are so much larger than us as individuals. And yet Nineveh did repent, the Iron Curtain did fall. Big events do change. I don't know about you, I, I frequently feel quite down and overwhelmed when reading the news. I know I'm not alone in it. There seems to be uh, no good news and things just get worse and worse. Uh, even those who write the news feel that way. There's an interesting Washington Post article about this crazy, this airplane, this Russian airplane, got hit by a flock of seagulls and, um, and the engines went out and they, and they landed on a cornfield in Russia and everyone's okay. It reminds me a lot of the Hudson River miracle a few years ago with old Sully, you know, and nobody was hurt, right? right? So, so these, this airplane lands and nobody was hurt. And here's how the reporter for the Washington Post ends this article. The landing comes as forest fires rage in parts of Siberia, as protesters continue to push for political rights in the face of brutal police tactics in Moscow, and as confusion and anxiety reign Following an explosion involving nuclear materials at a military testing ground. And that's just in Russia. <laughs> Man. Could God again work to bring empires to repentance? Could God again work to make the high places low and the low places high? Could whatever is Nineveh to us happen again? Could that repentance happen again? I think, and I don't know what this is, I think God has something he's put on you, something bigger than you that you really care a lot about and you get really bummed out about. I don't know, I just talk to lots of people and they just have a passion for something and, and sometimes it doesn't even make sense. It's an issue or a country, a burden of some sort. Um, for me, it's North Korea. I, I've been praying for North Korea. I asked Phil, I go, it's been a long, Because goes, Dana, 25 years. Said, oh yeah, I've been praying for North Korea for 25 years. I don't totally know why. I like Korean food. I don't know. I've never been to Korea. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, I have some fr- whatever. I don't know why. But every article I read, everything—it's just on me. Other things are getting on me. You know, you, some of you know—you know, climate change, gun control. There's just things that are just, 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 just burdening me. And I'm only sharing my stuff because I know you have your own stuff. And we can get so bummed out. And We're like, oh, it's never going to happen. And I just want to remind you, Nineveh did repent. Things can happen. But can we believe that God's placed a frame around that issue, that burden, that place? That somehow God has been at work there and God will finish that work? Can we lean in that way?
1: I have to confess that um, I needed that word today. I've had several conversations in the last couple of weeks um, where people have asked me about Hong Kong, where I grew up. My parents are still there. And they've said, how how do you think it's going to end? And I said, I don't know. I don't have an imagination for what God can do. And so I was reminded today not to stop there. Don't just stop (laughs) By saying, I don't know what God can do. Ask God to do what God can do. Ask God to give you an imagination. For the areas in your life or in the world that you don't have an imagination yet. Where you can't see the breakthrough. Where you don't know what it looks like or what it feels like. All you feel like is you're trapped and there's no way out whatever that place is for you, whatever that situation is for you, whether it is in your own life or whether, whether it is something beyond you, something so much greater than you that there is no way on earth that you could make the change. Don't stop there. Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to God. Lift it up to God. Even if on, the only prayer you can muster is God help me? Even if the only words you can utter are, I don't know what to do. God of the impossible. God of the resurrection. God of life and hope. God who overcomes May that God walk with you. May that God be your constant companion. May that God be the one you turn to. This week and every week, be an encouragement to one another as you go about your week. When your friend or your spouse or your child or your whoever it is, Maybe they're having trouble lifting their eyes. Maybe they're having trouble seeing beyond themselves. Maybe you're having trouble seeing beyond yourself. And you might just need to go and turn to someone who knows you and loves you. And you might just be able to say, hey, I don't, I don't have words. Can you, can you go with me to the throne? So Holy Spirit, presence of God, I pray that you, as we heard last week, you were with us. You have been with us. You will be with us you dwell in us so often we just forget or we get overwhelmed we lose sight of you would you would you spark in us an imagination for the things that you can do for the ways we can be involved sure but, but for the things that you can do you overcame death, Lord, you can do a whole lot. And so whatever it is that we carry right now, whatever it is we will encounter this week, would we bring that to you? Would we offer that to you? Would we turn that over to you and trust that you are making all things new? We pray these things in the